it's, it's an esoteric kind of topic because, um, we, we think of this particular topic, idolatry or idols in a, in a sort of fixed way. And I think we've accepted a lot of things into our lives. So we don't, we don't bridge that gap. We don't cross over the bridge to have a real understanding of what this means in our, in our own hearts. But the truth is, is that this is one of the most terrible, um, things that we can deal with as Christians. It is the worst. It is the thing that is in greatest opposition to God. So trying to figure out, there's a lot of things that we're comfortable with. I know I've been having conversations lately, um, with my daughter about all these gray areas in scripture, what they call gray areas in scripture. Um, and some of the scripture that I'm getting ready to share now, frequently you'll hear one side shared and then the second half is never shared or some people like to share the second half and don't share the first half of the scripture. And it's important that you look at the, all of it in, in totality. But what I will say, and I think I've said this in other, in other teachings before is that the funny thing is, is we've, we had the word, they had the old Testament. We have the, the new Testament, but what we have above and beyond the old Testament and the new Testament is the Holy spirit. So often we've said, well, the Bible doesn't say this and the Bible doesn't talk about that. But, um, Jesus said he was sending a comforter and that he was going to be our teacher. And I think the reason why he sent a teacher is because the Bible doesn't say this and the Bible doesn't say that. So that's what he's there for. Every single one of us that calls Jesus Lord and savior has the Holy spirit who is God, who holds that teaching function in our lives. So we can go to him and ask him these questions. So sometimes when people are asking me these, these questions about, well, is this okay? Is that okay? It always goes back to a matter of intent and a matter of the heart. Why do you want to do this? What's the real reason looking and having this conversation and having that conversation with the Holy spirit, because the Holy spirit will explain to you why something is wrong. We're not supposed to go contra scripture. Okay. The Holy spirit will never tell you something is right. That the scripture says is wrong. So that's not going to happen that we know for a fact, but when you're dealing with these, these situations and these little quote unquote gray areas, that's what we have the Holy spirit for. And it's funny, the areas have become grayer and grayer as time has, has gone on. And there's always these questions, um, that we confront about times being different. And when our parents grew up, they thought this was wrong and now we do that. And we didn't think that was wrong. Do you know that I've, I've actually had these long conversations with myself at home on my own, wondering that if Jesus were to physically walk in and we know that we have God in our hearts, that we're in him and he's in us. Right. But there's something about him physically walking in that when you think about it, right, it's kind of feels different. So if he physically walked into my house and sat down next to me, and I was watching something on TV that I considered to be acceptable, would that thing still be acceptable to me if he was sitting right by my side? Because we're in him and he's in us, right? Or the things where we say, okay, I can dress this way or do this thing when he's sitting with us, will we really still feel that? And I think we have to bring it down to that. For us, we have to be visual that way because in reality, he is with us that way. He is with us that way because we 
um, walk in the spirit. We belong to a heavenly kingdom, even though we're here on this earth. So all of that is a precursor to this idea of idolatry, which is so messed up for us now, because honestly, I think it was so much easier when there were like little idols and you can say the idol of this and the idol of that. And people will bow down in front of it. Okay. Well, they're worshiping the idol of money or they're worshiping the idol of lust. And it was like captain obvious, right? But we don't have that anymore. So we have this way of compartmentalizing all of these things that we do and taking the scriptures so that the scripture is formed in a way that it fits our lifestyle. Now I do not believe that there is a different scripture for every single one of us. So somehow or another, there's got to be absolutes. I do agree that we don't know who totally has the absolutes, but I will tell you something. There are absolutes. There have to be. God is not confused. There have to be. So we have to seek after finding what that truth actually is. And a lot of that truth comes from our being honest with ourselves about the questions and the motives and all of those different things. And we want to be honest about that. Just because the whole world is doing it, I was, I was speaking with my daughter the other day about this, and I was talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? The entire city of Sodom and Gomorrah was all doing certain kind of things. And Lot decided he was going to go with his family into the city, and where did Abraham decide to stay? He stayed outside of the city. The money was in the city. The good stuff was in the city. The nice living was in the city. And Abraham was outside the city. And that is a choice that he made. So if we take that argument and we say, well, we're in this world and everybody is doing that. And it's not like the way the old times used to be. We have to think about, well, what's our example in scripture? And what did Abraham do? What did he do? He stayed outside the city. And it's so much easier to go for the easy stuff. I'm not saying a Christian life has to be miserable and you don't have any fun. Of course not. And I think we do have a lot of fun in this church. But we got to be scriptural. Amen. We have to go with the spirit of God. We have to stop looking for a God or for a theology or a framework that fits the way we want to live so that we don't have to deal with our own guilt or our own discomfort. Our life belongs to the Lord. When he says, says crucify yourself daily and to die daily, I think in there is a big key related to this. Why would we have to die daily? Amen. What's the reason for dying daily? The reason for dying daily is it's really, really easy to just go after all of the things that we're surrounded with. And we know the Bible talks about increasing wickedness and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. So we need to know who God is. We have to find him and we have to have some honest conversations with the Holy Spirit. That's where we miss out. Our focus all the time is on Jesus and on God, the father, and we forget about Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is God. So don't forget him. He's there for a reason. He's there so that you can have these conversations with him and you can talk to him. He is God. He has all the nature and all of the attributes of God. Have these conversations with him about the things you're struggling with, the questions that you have, the things that you want to do. If you really are serving God, if, you, if you're not, then just hang it up. Go outside and sin like a crazy person because you're not doing anything here. Amen? Either we're in an honest pursuit after God or we're not. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. That doesn't mean that we don't fall. That doesn't mean that we don't deal with sin. That doesn't mean that we don't die daily. And that's why we have to die daily. 
So worship and idolatry are two things that go hand in hand. The issue that we deal with on a big level, there's an example in the book of Corinthians. There was a lot of idol worship in Corinth. Lots and lots and lots of idol worship. And that city was an amazing city because there was a great move of the Holy Spirit and many, many gifts. There's an overflow, amazing overflow of gifts, which nowadays might not make too much sense, you know, if you're thinking how holy people have to be, which is why today my prayer was, is we need to be praying for the gifts, amen? Because you're never going to get holy enough. There's, it's just not going to happen. God knows we're not perfect, but we should be pursuing the gifts. We should be pursuing him. So here's the city. Corinth is a really messed up city. Lots of idolatry. And one of the things that they did typically is that um, they would sacrifice animals to idols, right? And then they would go and sell this meat in the marketplace or some people would take it home. But a lot of times it ended up on somebody's dinner table. So there was this question of meat sacrifice to idols. This is an example that's always used. And the funny thing is, is commonly just the first part is used. What I'm going to read now for saying, hey, you know, it's okay. Certain things are okay. But we're going to read through all of the scripture because there's other stuff that happens later on in 1 Corinthians. So let's read 1 Corinthians 8. You can go there because we're going to be reading all the way through starting from verse 1. It says, now concerning food sacrifice to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge and this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he's known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. And we know that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat sacrificed to idols, lest I make my brother stumble. So we've heard the scripture a lot, and it talks about those gray areas and indulging in things because he's saying, hey, this is meat sacrificed to idol, but I know idol's not nothing, it's not God, whatever, it doesn't bother me any. So he says, well, as long as it doesn't put you in a position where you're making your brother stumble, then it's okay. That's what the scripture appears to be reading, at least this part, right? So we get a lot of this within Christian culture for everything that's a gray area. And there are a lot of them now because as society moves on, 
there's more and more freedom in certain areas that are a little precarious. One of the famous ones that we have here, which is similar to this, is that the Bible says, for example, drinking is not a sin. So, and it's, in fact, drinking is not a sin. What is a sin? Getting drunk is a sin, okay? So, the thing that we have here amongst our leadership is that we ask our leadership not to drink, not because having a glass of wine with dinner is sinful, but because it may cause somebody to stumble. So that's one of those gray areas that is similar to this. Because, see, there was no harm in the food, and you could eat the food, but this guy might see it. You know, maybe my brother used to, 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 to club a lot and do his thing and whatever, and if he sees you drinking a glass of wine or having a beer, it's going to cause him to stumble. So that's kind of what our, our position is, okay? So everybody get the functionality of that. Now, because of this out, a lot of us say... Uh, error on the side of, well, my brother's not seeing me right now, but I guess I can do it because nobody's actually seeing me. So this is the argument presented as it is. Great stuff. A lot of people use this to do and to engage in things that are on the fringes. Okay? But here's the problem. There was an undercurrent in Corinth where people were going to the feasts. You know the feast that they were having for these gods where they were sacrificing the meat to the idols? And because already they were eating the meat that was to these gods, to these idols that they don't believe in anyway, they're like, hey, my friend Joey's going to this dinner that's for so-and-so God, and I'm eating the meat anyway, so you know what? I'm going to go to the dinner for the God. And I'm going to sit at that dinner and partake. So there's a, a thin line when we start to indulge with stuff. And we see that sometimes, even with the drinking, and I'm going to bring this up only because there's a lot of it that really is tiresome to me for this, where especially in, well, this may apply to some of you in this room, but that's between you and God. You know if I'm talking to you. But you're going to bars, and you're saying, I'm only going to have one drink. But understand that there's a lot that goes on in a bar that is very ungodly and very demonic. So in your freedom to be able to have that one drink where you don't get drunk on, a glass of wine or a beer, you're now sitting down in a place where you shouldn't sit down, where what's being engaged in does not honor God and honors the demonic. But see, we don't have in that bar the idol of whatever is being recognized here. But there are idols that are being worshipped in those environments because they're not godly environments. So whenever we have a little bit of of license. I know we're Hispanics, right? Christmas time comes around, you go to your aunt or uncle's house and eh, I'll just have one coquito. Meanwhile, they're, da, 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 they're dancing around, you know, they've had their fourth coquito and you had one. And what do you think they're thinking? You had your one coquito. What do you think they're thinking about you? Huh? Well, that your faith could be one. What else might they be thinking about the one coquito you just had? Cause I guarantee you, they didn't notice it was only one cause they've had three. So they don't know how many you had. What do you think they're thinking when you've had the one coquito with your crazy family that's dancing around? For those of us that are not, that are not Hispanic, it's rum and coconut. It's this little, really potent, tasty drink. Okay. So what do you think they're thinking? They're thinking you're drunk too, probably. Yes. Or they're thinking, this is the worst one, that it's okay to have the three coquitos. They don't have any spiritual discernment. 
So there's the problem, okay? Maybe you had that coquito, you've got a strong constitution, and you didn't even get a buzz from it, right? But your family who just watched you in this, where they're worshiping the idol of lust, where they're worshiping the idol of excess, where they're worshiping all of these different idols, they saw you indulge in something. And this is where the word is talking about taking one step over the line, right? Now you're not causing your brother to stumble, but you've gone above and beyond. You've been a bad witness. Amen. Potentially. Am I wrong? Honestly, tell me, tell me if I'm right. Raise your hand because I don't want anybody sitting here looking at me like, what are you talking about? I could go have a coquito. Okay. So that's the point. And I use that because that's a pretty common example. I'm not going to use doing crack or whatever because not everybody's going to relate to that. So, but that's the idea of meat sacrifice to idols. So we'll use the argument, well, why can't I go there? And there's that thin, slippery slope. We don't want to offend our brother. But then let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Here's the other half of this argument. And it's almost going to sound like Paul just completely contradicts everything he just said. Verse 12, starting from verse 12, 1 Corinthians 10. Therefore, lest anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that it is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved... Flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Now listen to this argument, okay? Follow along. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? It is. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? It is. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the bread. So they're talking about communion and the reasons why we take communion, spiritually. Consider the people of Israel... Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord And the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than him? Okay, now this sounds like a complete contradiction of the last thing, right? But it's really not because there's a very specific thing being said here. Remember I said it's one thing where you're eating the the meat and then you go to the table where they're actually celebrating this God of whatever. You sit with them there and the meat that they're eating sacrificed to the idols is for the purpose of of celebrating that, that demon. It's kind of like when you go to your family's house where they're celebrating all of the idols of lust of whatever of you know debauchery and you come in and you participate with them with that coquito in that party right everybody get my logic on that that's what it is it's coming to the table and indulging in the celebration of whatever that idol is so they're sitting around the table and they're eating uh beef to celebrate this this god that's easy to see It's not so easy to see when we're looking at other situations. But we do understand that it is idolatry, right? When we are 
taking these things and placing them above God. And we're going to talk about a little, a little bit about this. You can't push your liberty to the limit because you may fall into sin. And that's the key thing. God gives us liberty. But Paul also talked about not if something isn't needful, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't put your spiritual life at risk. If you walked away from that stuff, especially if it's a weakness of yours, if you are an alcoholic, do not walk into bars unless you're super strong and God came down from heaven and spoke to you. Do not walk into bars to witness to people. It would be a mistake. So we need to know what our limits are and we have to be careful. We have to think, how is it going to affect others what I'm doing and how is it going to affect me? These things that are not needful, it's very easy to go from just a little bit of something to more, to more, to more, until we're in a mess just from that little bit. So we need to be honest with ourselves. Either we're in here wanting to pursue God or we're not. And wanting to pursue God has a cost to it. Narrow is the way, and I think that's why the Bible says it, because we think it's super easy. Yes, there's grace, but man, you know, to live the way that Jesus wants us to live, We have to attempt it, right? We have to walk in it. Walk in the spirit that you might not fulfill the lust of the flesh. God is commanding us to do certain things. So it's not easy and it's not pleasing sometimes. But you know, there's one thing you're going to get from walking in the Lord is that you will have peace. You will have joy. You will have a good family. You will have all of the things that people really, really want. Amen. You'll have if you follow after the things of God and the way that he says to do it. So verse 14 says, my, my beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. Flee. When the Bible says flee, it means run from it. Run from it. So we have to run from it daily. And we have to continually go to the Lord. Amen? You get dirty every day. Even if it's not you, you um, doing something on your own, but just being in this world. Amen? And we talk about being washed with the, the word, the water of the word. That's why we go to the word. That's why we pray. It's to kind of wash off just being in this world. Because it's really terrible, some of the things that we're surrounded with. Idolatry is important to God. The first three commandments are all about idolatry. They all reference idolatry. One is, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. The second one is, You shall not make for yourself a carved image. The third one is about God too, and it does speak to idolatry as well. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. So those first three commandments are about our responses to God and where we place God. Idolatry slanders God's character because you're you're saying someone else or something else is more important than God is. You take God out of the place where he belongs. It makes him less than who he really is in your mind. Not, not for real because he's never going to be less, but in your mind it does. Romans one twenty one says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Man works hard when we're at our worst to try to make God in our own image. And, and that's what I was talking about when I was saying floating over to theologies that fit the way you want to live. 
I float over to this theology or that theology because it's just comfortable for me. It doesn't challenge me. If you're really in God, you're constantly being challenged because you know what? This, this flesh is sinful. This flesh is sinful. We need the grace of God, but we also need to be challenged. If you're not being challenged, something is wrong. Something's wrong. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be. And I'm not saying it's not living in condemnation. Don't get me wrong. Let's not mess that up. God challenges us because we are continually till the day we go home to be with him. We should be growing in him. We should be becoming more like him. Isn't that his desire? He sends us out to make disciples. And disciples are people that look like their teacher that become more and more like the teacher. He wants us to be disciples of him. So we should be looking more and more like him. So we should be constantly challenged because I don't know about you, but I'm far from being like God. So there's always something more. Idolatry is worshiping the demonic. Idolatry is any idol in your heart. Idolatry is worshiping any image. And here's one that's been fairly frequent now. Idolatry is worshiping angels. There's a lot of angel worship in worship. This is what we call worship. We're not to worship angels. There's this weird fascination with angels. And if you come from a, from a Catholic heritage, that will always feel off to you. We do not worship angels. Angels know their place in front of God. And they're basically just armies that are at God's disposal. But we're never to worship them. We're to worship God. So when you're seeing a worship service or you're looking online and you're saying, oh my God, the angels, there's something a little funky going on there. Honestly. Your attention should be directed to God, not the angels. The angels are workers for God. They're workers for God. That's their job. Colossians 2, 18 to 19. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Asceticism is, is people that, uh, to be more holy, they, you, know, you, you beat yourself, you put yourself through difficult things, you go through extreme long fasts because you think that when you go through all this pain, it makes you more holy. That's what it is. Okay, so let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions. Listen to this puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So this this angel worship this vision worship, all of this stuff that goes on in a lot of, now we believe in the supernatural. I love when the Holy Spirit is moving, but I love when the Holy Spirit is moving. Not when other stuff is moving, when the Holy Spirit is moving. You know, if the angels, that's cool. They could be there, but that's not what's important to me. What's important is that the Holy Spirit is moving. So when you hear people talking about angels and going on in detail about uh, visions and are, are puffed up with all this feeling, 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 we are very expressive people. This is what makes us weird because there's this whole thing. And sometimes I don't even know, we can't figure out where, where we belong, but you know, there's this whole thing about too much expression. And there's this whole thing about cerebral and, mm, you know, hymns, very cerebral and every word. God wants us to love him, but he also wants us to sing psalms and spiritual songs with understanding. The Bible talks about vain repetitions. 
Now, there's sometimes things going on in worship where there are things being repeated. And we see in the Bible where the people said over and over, over again, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Sometimes that's initiated and it's part of what the Holy Spirit is doing. But it is not necessarily the norm. And we have to be careful for that because those things border on witchcraft. They border on witchcraft. You know how I know they border on witchcraft? Because I can, I, you can tell from... If, if people are flowing in the spirit, I'm trying to be careful. Um, if people are flowing in the spirit, um, let's say our worship team, I'll just use ours. If our worship team is flowing in the spirit and the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully and what's coming forth is coming from God, let's say it's really coming from God, then those lives should reflect maturity because you have a well, you're going to the Lord. There should be some reflected maturity. But what does the word says? The word says, that we can't be worshiping angels and we can't be going on. It doesn't mean that we don't talk about visions. It doesn't mean that we don't talk about the supernatural. It means that those are the minors, right? And what's the major thing? God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Father. That's the major thing. And the word is the major thing. And anything else that that happens has to flow from this. And all of the glory has to go to God. In whatever we're doing, in any service, in the preaching, in the worship, all has to point God words. Amen? Ezekiel 14, Ezekiel 14 verse 1 says, Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. So they have the idols in their hearts and they have the idols out for everybody to see. This is Israel. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? These are the elders. Therefore speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets them, sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face for everybody to see and yet comes to the prophet I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. I'm going to read Ezekiel 13, verse 1. This is uh, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Now, I've been very disturbed because a lot of what I see as um, prophetic or spiritual worship, if you do not line up with the word of God, and we're not talking about the little things, we're talking about straight up clear stuff. You know, if you don't do that, then all of the appearances are false. They're coming from something else. They cannot be coming from God because God would not dwell in that. He's saying they follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. I read a book from John Bevere years ago, and he said, people will sometimes prophesy to the idols of your own heart. And we have to be careful. We say that people run from house to house. They wait for And here's the question, who are you really worshiping? If you're waiting to really only worship 
the minute that there's a prophetic speaker coming to church on Sunday. The lines are so long when that happens. And I'm saying, man, you could be online here every single Sunday because God is here. God is here. You don't have to wait till this guy walks in the door. Not to say that there are people that come. We invite them because we believe God has their hand on them. But take advantage, man, every single week. You might be missing your miracle because you're not lining up with God's timing. He's telling you, get up there on Sunday, just me. Come to me. I'll do it for you. You don't have to wait for somebody to walk into this house for you to get your miracle from. So whatever's happening in the house has to line up with scripture. And if the scripture, if the house is not lined up with scripture, then the things happening are questionable. And I'm talking about the things that are clearly scripture, not the things we made, the little dumb things that we argue about. Ezekiel 13, 9 through 12 says, my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will not belong to the council of my people or be listed in the records of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the sovereign Lord because they lead my people astray saying peace when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it's going to fall. Rain will come in torrents and I will send hailstones hurtling down and violent winds will burst forth. When the wall collapses, will people not ask you, where's the whitewash you covered it with? So if we're building God's house on flimsy things, on non-scriptural things, on things that are going to draw people in and, you know, we, we played it. We make it look beautiful because that's really what the whitewash is about. It's appealing. It's not going to stand when God comes. It's not going to stand when God comes. And, and I think we really believe that in the midst of all of this, you know, and, and I'm troubled sometimes. I know my failings. I know I struggle. I know I'm a human being. I know I sin. But the acceptance of these things torment me. They torment me. Every single night I go to bed, I'm tormented because of the fact that I'm looking at the mess that we left for our young people. And we have to change that. We have to change that. Ephesians 5, 5, covetousness is idolatry. Um, It says in that verse, but let's look at Colossians 3. Let's go there instead. 5 and 6 says, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, I think a lot of people, God is like super merciful. And I've known him to be a really merciful God. But when you really grow, and I will, I will caution everyone in this room who has not experienced this. When God has his finger on you and he wants you to grow, you will know you will know when he's upset and he will make it clear to you and you will grow as a result of that. If you love him, God is trying to break idolatry in our heart. He's trying to break covetousness. Covetousness is all those things that we do where we want things that we're not supposed to have, or we want things that we shouldn't have. And a lot of us covet after a lot of things, you know, this stuff that we're running after and it's all idolatry. It's all idolatry. We run after, after wanting a, you know, a, a bigger house. So we'll work extra hours and there's no time for God. 
or a car that we want or things that God knows are going to affect our walk with him and they may actually destroy us. We need to consult with God about the things that we should and shouldn't have. But there's things that we shouldn't have. There's things that we covet. There's things that do not belong to us that we want. And all of those things are an idol. Covetousness is a disordered love or desire. Loving more than God. What ought to be loved less than God. And anything that you do love. Should be for the sake of God. In other words it fits into his word. And you're supposed to love it. And you're supposed to want it. When it says God gives you the desires of of your heart. It's because your heart is lined up with his. And that's what he does. Proper love is loving for the sake of of God. We don't go after our feelings. Last week I said the heart is deceitful above all things. So when people tell you, your stupid friends say, hey, do what your heart feels. That is idiotic counsel. Idiotic counsel. Don't do what your heart feels. Talk to the Lord. Do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. That's what you should be doing. If we follow our hearts, Romans 125 says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature. We'll worship the things that are, that are pleasing to our flesh. The flesh is the thing that we're constantly fighting, that we're beating down. Paul talks about it, you know. He buffets his body and makes it his slave. And you have to do that, man. You got to, you know, constantly punch that thing, beat that thing up. You have to do it on a daily basis because you want things that you shouldn't have. Philippians 3.19 says, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their appetites. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. It's like when you sit with your family members and they're not serving God, but they're talking about all the stuff they have. Anybody have those conversations? I just got this. I just got that. And their glory is in their shame because in all of that, they're missing God. There's no room for God. There's no need for God. There's no dependence on God, right? Your idol is what you worship. Your idol has a place of honor that only God should have. You know something is your idol because it consumes your resources, your time, and your thoughts. So when you get up in the morning, the first thing that you're thinking about, if it's not God, you're giving thought to that thing, that's your idol. What did you think about this morning when you got up? What's the first thing you thought about? And you could be thinking to yourself, well, I'm being very responsible. I have all this work to do. Well, if you're so, if you cannot get up and say, Lord, and just give that moment when you open your eyes to the Lord and you're thinking about your job or you're thinking about that guy or you're thinking about that stuff, right? Or you're thinking about your miserable situation. That miserable situation becomes your idol. I know people that, that live off of the soap opera life. They live their lives like a soap opera. They love drama. They completely love it. They go from one drama to the next. They enjoy it. They create it. And that's what they like. That's their idol. Your idol can shift to determine the path your life takes. And your idol gets between you and your God-given purpose in life because it's taking the place of God. You can only really hear God if you put him in his rightful place. And some of you guys know this. When you're following hard after God, anybody have those seasons? You're following hard after God. You're doing all the right things. And this is not being boastful or arrogant if you say this, right? You're following hard. It says boast in the Lord, right? Does it not say? So... You're, you're following hard after God. You're praying. Um, you are reading the word. 
you are, you know, feeding yourself with books, doing all of these things. And when those things happen, you hear clearly from God. Things come easy. Doors open easily. The stuff that you were praying for kind of happens and you didn't even have to ask God. It's the coolest thing. Amazing, right? Then the minute that you get off track, life starts to become misery. I know that's been my experience. Because I don't have time. I got to work, so I can't do my devotions. I, I, you know, I have to work, so I can't come to service. I have to work, or I have to spend time, or I have to make money, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. All these things, and your life is falling apart, your life will continue to fall apart. I guarantee you, if that's what you're doing, you are in for disaster, if it hasn't happened to you yet. So put God in his rightful place. Take that idol out, whatever that idol is, whatever that thing is that you're striving for and put God instead. And it may not look like it because stuff happens. The devil will play with your head and say, you see, if you were doing this instead of sitting in church, then this would happen. Anybody who's been saved long enough knows that's a lie. Put God in his rightful place. Get the idol out of the way. Let your your resources, your time, your thoughts, your meditations be about God when you wake up in the morning. Do it as a test. If that's not your natural state of being when you get up in the morning, say, good morning, Lord. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Talk to the Lord first thing in the morning before you enter into all of the troubles and all of the things that are facing you for the day. Put him in his rightful place. Your day will go so much easier. Your life will go so much easier. If you put those things and you'll make right choices. Ezekiel thirty six eighteen. you don't have to go there. It says, so I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land for the idols with which they had defiled it. So when you have idols in your life, those idols defile everything around you. So if you're a mom or a dad, if you are a sibling, a sister, and you have an idol, and you're engaged in the worship of this idol, whatever it is, it's going to start to pollute your land. If you're a mom or a dad, it's going to, if you're a, a husband, it's going to pollute your wife. If you're a, a sister, it's going to pollute, pollute your, your brother or your other sibling, siblings. So whatever it is that you have for this, this, this idol starts to pollute things. So it's not just for our sake, Amen but for the people around us that we love. I know when I was a kid growing up, I'm the oldest in my family. You probably can tell. I'm the oldest in my family, and I have three younger brothers. And every mistake that I made, they would do the same mistake. Sometimes it was really big ones, but they would follow suit. I caught this after about the second or third thing. I have uh, three brothers. They're pretty close in age. Um, And they would do it. And that's a heavy responsibility to take. But I'm telling you that that's how it is in your land, wherever you are. It will pollute the things around you. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful because we can idolize moves of God. There's a story in the Bible which I think is so funny because it's kind of ridiculous. But the people of Israel, Hezekiah, um, fixed this. But in 2 Kings 18... Remember there was a, a, a serpent that they lifted up. It's, it's in, in John chapter 3. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so as the son of man be lifted up. It's talking about lifting this bronze serpent. When they were in disobedience to God, when they looked up, 
you know, they, they got healed. They were saved, right? So they kept this thing. They saved it. And they put it away, and they brought it out, and they named it Nehushtan. And they started worshiping Nehushtan. So Hezekiah, who was a good king, came and broke it into pieces. Because the people of Israel were burning incense to it. So if we're not careful, what we will do is we will worship a move of God. We'll worship worship. We'll worship our favorite speaker. We'll worship our favorite pastor. God wants worship to belong to only him. And, and the reason that I say this is you'll know this and you'll notice this in yourself because you'll say, oh, the only time I worship is when, when sister so-and-so gets up because she's anointed the rest of them. I've heard stuff like that. Tell me that you have not heard stuff like that. And I hope you haven't said it. And um, the only time I receive is when pastor so-and-so gets up and speaks. And the other one, well, this pastor too, he's kind of good, but the rest of them, you are not coming in to worship the pastor or the worship leader, or you're not coming in. Another one is that people do all the time (laughs) is there's a song, your favorite worship song. And what do you do? Tell me this is not true. It's like the expression, they go, that's my jam right there. That's the way you feel about that song. Seriously, you have your favorite song that comes on and all of a sudden you're worshiping because that's your song. You know, that's the one that you like. Those are not the things that we we can get like with that bronze serpent. We're worshiping that thing, that experience, that situation instead of worshiping God. And that's an idol. We want to come in with the right attitude. Sometimes I wonder if, you know, uh, a major solar flare hit the earth and we're in one of those post-apocalyptic worlds and there's no more electricity then how are you going to worship? Well, Pastor Sam has an acoustic guitar, so we could probably still worship, and Eli. But seriously, a lot of us are dependent on the mood music, the the pads, the lights, you know, the whole thing. Everybody's looking for those churches where you come in and the pads and the lights. But man, that's an idol if you cannot worship God without that. So we need to remove those idols from our life because see, where we're going to get into a pure place of worship with God is when we can go on our own and seek him out. Where we can go in our, our closet or be in our, in our house or just walk into the service before everybody else gets here and just have a quiet moment and say, God, meet with me and talk to me right now. That's where we're really going to grow in the Lord. But the idolatry has to go. And there's a lot of idolatry in this, this country as a whole. We're so comfortable. We don't have these things and the air conditioning is not right and the heat is off. I'm going to go to that other church. I'm tired of roasting in service. You cannot look to shape God into the things that you want because that's idolatry. God is God. He is who he is. And he needs to be good enough. He's got to be satisfying enough for you. You have to want him. We have to get to a place where we learn to want him. Amen. And that's how the idols start to fall off. Nothing can come before him. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.